The Rob and Caleb Show. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules. Let's just, uh, you know, go back to the Torah and its festivals. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? You can Google. Keychain. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show. The show where theology matters. Scholarship counts. That's important today. Scholarship counts and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg. With me, as always, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? Tis the season. Uh, that was a wonderful intro. Made that this was morning. That, was that the Kirk Cameron clip? Yeah. Oh, who's the lady? Is... Um, I don't know. I just, who, hang on. That's all right. That's all right. Hang on. Just a sec. Mystery trumpets <laughs> heard in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> I heard them. Nice. Did you? Yeah, it was the other night. It was the So somebody, giant... we, we should tell our listeners what's going on. Uh, Derek in the chat room just posted this thing. It says, mysterious trumpets of the apocalypse heard in Spokane, Washington. That's where Rob is. Go, Rob. You heard him. Well, in the in the middle of the valley is the Valley Mall, and they had these giant graders scraping ice off the thing, like in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. But, but the sound of the steel, like echoing through the hills, it sounded like I, I told my wife we were up at like three a.m. outside listening to this. Like it sounded like one of God's angels is learning to play the shofar. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> Were you like, oh my word, the Messiah's coming. <laughs> the Messiah's coming. Get your Bible. <laughs> I got questions. Well, either that or we're left behind. <laughs> uh oh. Yep, yep, there's a movie. Is Kirk, is Kirk Cameron still here? <laughs> well, that's... Has anybody seen Kirk Cameron? Kirk Cameron, like... where is Kirk Cameron? Like, uh... we need a Kirk Cameron cam. <laughs> like if you like, <laughs> like you just lock him anytime. Is he still here? Oh man, that's awesome! A Kirk let's, Cameron let's create an app. Cam, an yes. Cameron. Has anybody seen him lately? Okay, it's uh, it is the season. Tis the season. Should I get my? Oh. Should I get my sunglasses out? Hanukkah, oh. Hanukkah, and. Uh, and Christmas are coming right up, and uh, as many of you know, I don't celebrate the Christmas, nor does uh, Mr. Van Hoff. However, every year we take the opportunity to talk about the origins of Hanukkah, the origins of Christmas. Every year we try to make it a little bit different, and this year uh, we have something totally different. Um, yeah, but first, let's not jump the gun. If you want to yell at us and disagree with us, if you want to love us and agree with us and tell us how wonderful we are, whatever you want to do, you can kind of not disagree or agree. You can just leave comments. Leave comments by calling us, 253-465-3205. There are people utilizing that, by the way, um, and we thank you for utilizing it because that's what it's there for. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. 465 Okay. 
So this is one of my favorite episodes every year. And the reason why is because it takes me the longest to prepare for because I want to make sure that I'm doing justice to what's going on. And for on. me, I forget most of what I learn. And so I have to go back and like relearn what I, re- what I learned the year before. And then I usually learn a couple more things. Yeah. And then I forget it all again because it's really not, you know. Now, you wanted to say something about Hanukkah before we get, get into the – did you want to do that now or you want to do it later? Oh, Han- oh, I know what I was going to share. Yeah. Well, I teach, uh, I teach a local Hebrew class to homeschool kids. I have about nine different – nine kids come from three, three or four different families, three different families. We do a two-hour Hebrew class every once a week. And so I've been, I've been looking like, okay, I Google online. I'm looking for Hebrew tellings of the Hanukkah story. Like that are in Hebrew for children, and I, I came across two two that I, I was like looking through different websites, and I'm like, okay, here's two stories. One of them was at a Hebrew Chabad website, and I read through that story. I think that's the one we're actually going to read. And what I do is I create a little vocab list. I make sure the Hebrews were, uh, you know, pretty easy. Um, and so the Chabad tells the story that it's the the Jews versus the Greeks. Um, the Greeks defile the temple, and uh, the Jews basically kick them out of the land. And that's just like in one paragraph. Then, like three more paragraphs of how the they wanted to uh, light the menorah, but they only had enough pure oil uh, for one day. You know, which is the Talmudic story. So, but it lasted for eight days. So it's a uh, a miracle story, and then it gets into the dreidel. Talks about the dreidel, and the meanings of the, you know, the letters on the dreidel, and it also gives uh, for the Maccabees. It it says that the Maccabees stands for uh, Mi Kamoka Ba Elim. So Mem Kaf Bet for Maccab, which means the uh, Maccab uh, comes from the word hammer, apparently. Um, is actually an acronym for the Mika Mocha, who, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. But really, so, so the Chabad telling of Hanukkah for children in Hebrew, just as the Talmudic story, uh, kind of with plus the dreidel and the guilt, because it uh, talks about giving Hanukkah guilt. So nothing that we would find in really in the ancient sources. <laughs> the whole story is basically made up. And then I found a poem for children. And this is the one that blew me away. So this is in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew poem. And it's about the, the Greeks have surrounded the city and the, the, the Jews are starving. And there was a Jewish lady, a Yehudit, right? A, a Jewish late gal. She... Uh, goes out with wine and cheese and milk to to uh, as a sign of uh, surrender, and she gets the the captain of the army drunk and then cuts his head off and then brings his head back into the city gates, holds it up. Sounds like a great story for and, the children. And all the and all the Jews rejoice. Uh, the sun comes up. The Greeks see that their commander is body there without a head, and they all flee to the hills. And the Jews win. And that's why. So the father tells the children, "That's why we eat um, uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, fried you know fritters the three year old three year old remember the beheaded like and it's so I'm just like you gotta be kidding me like the three year old's like dad what's decapitated <laughs> <laughs> okay so but the thing is this it's like this is he, Hebrew tellings of Hanukkah story for children it's like in the Grinch, our day and age it's like the Grinch that stole Christmas yeah yeah I wonder, Jewish. So like in that culture and is like Israeli you know Jewish culture are they like oh this is like the Grinch it's not it's not real or do they take well oh, this really happened it's but it's not like a made-up character like a Grinch who's like you know and the Wahoos or the whatever's um Whoville it's not like that it's not totally fantasy land it's like this is the battle this is what happened she tricked him cut his head off and we have the victory and I'm just like wow at what point does history matter at what point does truth matter at what point are we gonna not be in that post-truth world this is perfect for for I lost your video on uh uh oh what I was saying is that this is perfect because what your source says okay your source now when when was this story written like mid like medieval times right well the the two the poem and the little the little short story of Hanukkah on the Chabad website are, I would say, in the last 10, 20 years. I, th- I think they were written oh, probably even, in the last Even better. They're new. Even yeah. better. Okay, good. We're going to talk about that. Here's what I've realized. So what I, what I did this week is, uh, by the way, I, I should say, one of the reasons that we're recording on Tuesday instead of uh, Wednesday is because Adam, my professional mead brewing friend, is uh, there you is, go? You got the quotes. Adam. Is meeting me over in Leavenworth tomorrow with his family and my family, and some other people. We're gonna have a good time. So, what I did this week but was they're not gonna look at any of the Christmas lights. Oh, I will. They're not Christmas lights. Nope. They're holiday lights, man. Holiday lights. Okay. Come on. Okay. So what I did was I want I went back to various uh, uh, ministries like uh, 119 Ministries, New to Torah, and I was tr- what I was going to do was look at how, how they uh, present Christmas as a pagan holiday, and I was going to uh, then talk about that. I kind of did that, but the other, the other day I saw that Zach Bauer, new to uh, Torah, which is his ministry, new to Torah.com, uh, he put out a debate I'm putting quote marks around debate because, well, okay, anyway, he put out a debate. This debate um, was with a Christian apologist who sounded like a little kid. I think he might have just been sick, um, but he, he yeah, anyway. Um, and the the debate was titled, Is the Christmas Tree Pagan? And instantly I was like, no, don't do it, Zach. It's a trap. It's a trap right away. Um, But and Zach just walked right into it. And here's the thing is that there are ways to debate uh, the pagan origins of Christian uh, of, of Christmas. There's ways not to debate the pagan origins of Christmas. And here's the deal is that the Hebrew root slash messianic movement is the staple for how not to debate the pagan origins of Christmas. It's ridiculous. Like uh, what not what not to do? Yes, exactly. Now, everybody knows uh, that <clears throat> listens to the show on a regular basis. 
we try hard to emphasize that scholarship counts. Theology matters. Scholarship counts. There is a way to do scholarship, and there's a way not to do scholarship. And guess what? These guys— Yeah, but are these guys saying—are they putting themselves out as scholars? Or are they just saying, I have a YouTube channel, and I'm like— I like to talk about stuff and people here's, watch here's, it. Here's what I know, is that you know I mean? 119 Ministries puts out stuff and expects <clears throat> people to listen to what they're saying. They say test everything, <coughs> which I did, by the way. I te- So they have this, uh, they have this, <laughs> you okay over there? They have this, uh, they have this two-part series called Sunburned, the, the, the origins of Christmas. Sunburned, SPF 119 recommended. That's what, uh, literally, okay? And... Uh, they're clever marketing. Oh, clever. they're they're really good at it, and they got and they got uh, great they got great videos. Um, <clears throat> and anyway, uh, so I started watching that. Sounds great. Okay, looks great. You can tell that they put some work into it. Here's the thing: is that I de- decided to test everything in that video. Oh man, major, major, major problems in that video. <clears throat> we'll get to that later. First, I want to talk about Zach Bauer and his debate. The reason I keep putting quote marks around debate is because he just did this. This Christian apologist just wiped the floor with him. I mean, it wasn't even a debate. It was it was so bad. I had to keep stopping. <laughs> Michael in the other room was watching at the same time. And he after 10 minutes, he turned it off. He said, I just can't watch this anymore. He said, it's just so bad. I can't even watch it anymore. And then like. About five minutes later, so, I, so uh, here, like other people had the same reaction. Like I haven't I just you know I haven't watched it. I don't, I don't know anything. I'm just taking your word for it. Okay, but other people did have the same reaction. Let me. Let, other people too. It's not like you guys are the only one saying that this was bad. He admits it. Zach Bauer. Oh, the oh. next the next day he puts oh, them out. Okay. We're we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's uh, let me get, run to my show notes here. Um, by the way, uh, so what's our show about today? Okay, are good we, question. So, so since it's since it's our Christmas special, there's two things that are going on here. Number one, we want to talk about the the true origins of Christmas and whether or not it's pagan. So that we do that kind of every year, and we'll look at. But more than that, it's about sources. It's about how what it's about how we can use sources. In other words, you have. Look, you have a ministry come out. You have ministries comes come out. Uh, you know, various messianic ministries and Hebrew roots ministries. They come out. They say Christmas is pagan. Okay, that's the claim. Okay, now I agree. There, there are pagan uh, overtones in Christmas for sure. I agree. I think that the Christmas tree is pagan. But, but there is a big but here. There's one way to go about and try to show why you would think that, or how you might even be able to get to that conclusion. And there's a way that everybody else does it. So, for instance, these guys, and when I say these guys, I'm talking mainly now about Zach Bauer and 118 Ministries. They don't understand, they've never, they haven't gotten the training necessary to understand what the difference is between a primary source and a secondary source. We'll talk about that in a few seconds. Let's listen, let's listen to a little bit of this debate between Zach Bauer and Michael. He, wouldn't, he didn't give his last name. He didn't want his face shown either because since he's doing apologetics, he uh, felt that it would be better if his face was not seen. Um, I don't know why that is, but whatever. Um, you know, maybe he's debating some neo-Nazis or something. Who knows? Anyway, um, this is, this will give you a, a flavor. This will give you a flavor of what was going on here, Rob. Listen to this. Okay, well, I got a, a couple questions. I want to... That guy right there, the one with the cracking voice, that's why I think he was sick. That's Michael, okay? 
Okay, well, I got a, a couple questions. I want to respond to that a lot. Uh, first of all, I agree we're not supposed to worship like the pagans do. No one does that. Okay, first of all, I'm sorry to stop it here. This is good. Michael has already started out by giving, kind of throwing a bone to Zach Bauer. I agree we shouldn't worship like the pagans worship, okay? Great. This is this is a great way to, to I mean, he could, he could have pegged him on this, but he didn't. No one at least. But you do. You, if you no, do Christmas. No, you don't. No, that's a misunderstanding of Christmas decorations. We're putting up a tree as a simple decoration. No one's bowing okay. before the ancient tree. No one's saying, oh, mighty tree, I'm honoring God with you. This That's a total, well, right. oh, man, that's just not okay. accurate at all. Okay, okay, okay. So let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this. And let me ask you this, and I'll let you answer. When it says, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your greaves, your leaves are so are, are never changing. Your green leaves are never changing. That song, that's a whole kickback to the whole time where they worshiped that tree because it was a symbol of fertility because it was green when everything else was dead or appeared dying. Okay, hang on just a second. I want to stop right here. We got more than a minute left on this clip. But Zach has just made a lot of claims in, in – see, here's the thing is that people in the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots movement, they're like, yeah, all right, get them, Zach. To me, I'm thinking, no, you're walking into a trap here. And the trap is is that you just made a lot of claims in a, in a short little sentence – and you're going to have to back those up now. Okay? Listen again. Fertility, because it was green when everything else was dead or appeared dying. What are your sources on this? I mean, ancient pagan sources. Because I've read Pliny. I've read Maximus of Tyre. They don't mention fir trees, especially with the Celts. They say they um, held the oak and the acorn sacred. Even Lucian, the po- Roman poet, says this. But I'm not seeing any actual sources that talk about the fir tree. If you're going to go to ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, they didn't have those type of trees. Those were northern. <laughs> They're on- those are out there, but also you can turn right to Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, where it tells you that the fir trees, the cedar trees, when Satan is cast down, will cry out in rejoicing because the woodsman is no longer cutting them down. Why was the woodsman coming down and cutting down fir trees, cedar trees? Because they stayed green. There was a, they were symbols of fertility. You know, even the, even the verse you mentioned in Jeremiah 3 says they place their favors under the green tree. Why is it? I mean, aren't all trees green? Why does it specify the green tree? Because at the time of December, you would put these things under these symbols of fertility and rejoice that winter was coming to an end. Again, I want an ancient pagan source which says this because there were green trees all over ancient. Why do you need one? There's some in your Bible in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Okay, so he says, Zach says, why do you need one? Why do you need an ancient source? And Michael laughs at him, rightly so, because, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but okay, let's let's go to what Zach is, is claiming uh, here in the Bible. Now, he keeps saying that he goes back to the Bible on this, which is Isaiah 14, 7 and 8, and Jeremiah 3, 13. Let's read both of those. I'm going to read out of the ESV here, okay? Isaiah 14, 7 and 8 says, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypress rejoice at you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Okay, so here's the problem that I see with Zach's argument so far. Well, actually, let's read Jeremiah. Only, uh, this is Jeremiah uh, 3.13. Only knowledge, uh, I'm sorry, only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Here's the problem, is that Zach would have to be claiming, for, this, for, for his argument to hold any weight, Zach would have to be claiming that this passage in Isaiah and the passage in Jeremiah are directly referencing Christmas trees. 
I don't think they are. I think it's pretty well. I, not only that, if we were to if we were to take that angle, we could go to Psalm one. Jeremiah. If we want to go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah seventeen, which parallels Psalm one. It says the righteous will be like a tree, and he's going to his his leaves will always be green. I, I, or you could go to Psalm ninety two, which many people read on Shabbat where it talks about the righteous will be like the cedar of Lebanon, and they're always giving fruit. So back to the song, Oh Christmas Tree, I just pulled up the lyrics. I was intrigued by that. At the very end, it says how God has adorned thee. So even for the author of, if now there might be different versions of that song. I'm not a scholar of, of Christmas hymns or anything. But um, the notion is that it, the tree is seen as, a beautiful sign of God's creation. And we can see that in Jeremiah 17. We can see it in Psalm 92. We can definitely see it in Psalm 1, where the righteous is like a tree that bears fruit. I'm not, um, tr- I'm not trying to so, say— So I, I'm, I'm concerned that—yeah, that could go either way, if you want to just argue that kind of symbology. I think. Okay, so the point, the, the point here is, though, that, you know, if— And these are actually trees— these are actually trees in Psalm 92, Jeremiah 17, and in Psalm 1. The etz, the etz that is talked about by the prophets is, is wood. Now, it's the same word, but it's wood that's carved and shaved and covered with, you know, gold or whatever. That's an idol. You know, they're trying to make it—they want to make something look like a certain image— that's my understanding. Yeah, of it. They're becoming an idol, and that's just it. Is that I mean, <clears throat> the one thing that this this uh, Christian apologist has here is that you know, I'm sorry, but this is really trying to take scripture and equate it just because it says something about a tree, now saying that it has to do with a Christmas tree. I don't see it. I'm sorry, I just don't see it. So instantly, uh, Zach's Bible verses that he has brought forth um, are are not are not going to hold weight when it comes to this debate. And actually I'm going to go out of order here. Let's listen to what Zach said. This is the so the next day he posted this talking about the debate and some of the sources that he did have but didn't bring to the table. This is what he says about it. Um had our debate yesterday and uh <clears throat> it was obvious I was not as prepared as I should have been in that debate. Now, uh let me give you some reasons why. Uh, before the debate, um, I, a couple days before the debate, I had told uh, uh, somebody on Facebook uh, when they asked me, uh, you know, I hope you bring a lot of great sources for your debate. And I said, I absolutely have a lot of great sources for that debate, and um, I'm going to bring them. And then uh, before the debate, about a day before, I'm thinking, you know what? When I was a while, a while back, when I would debate evolution versus creation with atheists, uh, I was never allowed to bring the Bible to a debate. I wasn't allowed to do that because the atheist has already deemed the Bible as false. But I'm not debating an atheist here. I'm debating a Christian, a supposed Christian. Notice what he does here now. A supposed Christian. So now he puts Michael, this uh, Christian apologist, down um, as a supposed Christian as opposed to, you know, anyway. Bible-believing Christian who uses the Bible as his ultimate word, as the ultimate, you know, fact checker. I mean, if it, you know, that's your ultimate guide. Before the debate, I decided, okay, I'm not going to bring in the secular stuff. I had some things. Um, When he talks about secular stuff, he's talking about ancient 
sources. So anything that's not the Bible. The other thing is, is that I hate to tell Zach this, but most scholars, not all, of course, but most scholars who are doing work on this stuff are, in fact, Bible-believing Christians. It's a misnomer that, you know, all the people who are saying that Christmas, all the scholars who are saying that Christmas is not a pagan holiday or whatever they might be saying, even if they're saying it's a pagan holiday, to say that they're not Bible-believing Christians is simply a misnomer. We'll get back to this clip because I want to play the end of it later. But so uh, let's go back to, to this debate. Um, so this is uh, another another instance from Zach Bauer, and he's once again talking to Michael. This is a little bit of a shorter clip. They didn't have those type of trees. Those were northern. There are, those are out there, but also you can turn right to Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, where it tells you that the fir trees, the cedar trees, when Satan is cast down, will cry out in rejoicing because the woodsman is no longer cutting them down. Why was the woodsman coming down and cutting down fir trees, cedar trees? Because they stayed green. There was a, they were symbols of fertility. You know, even that even the verse you mentioned in Jeremiah three says they place their favors under the green tree. Why is I mean, aren't all trees green? Why does it specify the green tree? Because so we've already heard this. So basically, I'm sorry, I, I uh, re upped my clip. Um, basically, he he says, uh, you know, I want ancient sources. Zach says. Why do you need ancient sources? Um, so here's the thing is that we do have I, I want to kind of come off topic for a little bit uh, and, and talk now. So what Zach has said time and time again. OK, and once again, I'm going to state this again so that people understand this. I believe that Christmas has many, many pagan things injected into it, including the Christmas tree. I think the Christmas tree actually does have pagan origins. However, I certainly would not get on. Uh, 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 YouTube uh, uh, in a debate against a Christian apologist on such a topic. Um, so Zach keeps saying that the Christmas tree was a sign of fertility and that people would put, you know, in the before the first century, people would put presents under it and uh, as a as worship to a sun god. Okay, the idea that the Christmas tree came from Sol Invictus or uh, Mithra or sun worship is weak at best. That's, I mean, that's all there, there is to say about it in terms of proof. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but when, when you really want to look at the evidence, proof-wise, you're going to have a really, really difficult time trying to prove that the Christmas tree was a fertility symbol. Now, later, in later history, you have things like the Yule Log. We're not really quite sure what the whole point of the Yule Log was. It was supposed to burn for a whole, you know, a whole long time. You had, uh, even in Sweden today, uh, during uh, uh, Midsummer is a festival that they have. They have a, a pole that's supposed to, uh, it's supposed to represent a phallic symbol. So I understand that there are, you know, but these are later, these are much later uh, beliefs, Okay. So the idea, the fact that Zach keeps going back to this is a fertility sign, this is a fertility sign, there, there doesn't seem to be any evidence before much later in history that this is actually the, the, the point. Tertullian is quite clear about why the pagans believed the Christians worshipped the sun, okay? He gives us specific reasons why the pagans believed that the Christians worshipped the sun. Nowhere does he attest to a tree being decorated and, pre and presents being placed under it in homage to the birth of the sun god as a reason that the pagans would believe that they are worshiping the sun? This is what Tertullian says. He says, 
Others, again, certainly I'm quoting now Tertullian, of course. This is in his Apology 16, 9 through 11. Others, again, certainly with more inf information and greater verisimilitude, believe that the Son is our God. We shall be counted Persians, perhaps, though we do not worship the orb of day painted on a piece of linen cloth, having himself everywhere in his own disc. The idea, no, no doubt, has originated from our being known to turn to the East in prayer. But you, many of you, also under pretense sometimes of worshiping the heavenly bodies, move your lips in the direction of the sunrise. In the same way, if we devote Sunday to rejoicing from a far different reason than the sun worship, it, worship we have some resemblance to those of you who devote the day of Saturn to ease and luxury, though they too go far away from Jewish ways, of which indeed they are ignorant. Okay, so what Tertullian here is saying is, look, they think that we're sun worshipers because A, we turn to the east when we pray, and they think that that means that we're worshiping the sun, and we worship on Sunday, which is a holy day for us. They think that that's why we worship the sun. But the fact that we worship on Sunday doesn't mean that we worship the sun any more than uh, the Jews worshiping on Saturday means that they're worshiping Saturn. This is what he's saying. Now, this is... And Tertullian, he's third century. Correct. He's 200s. Yes. And listen to what... Uh, I could not believe this. Listen to what 119 Ministries now takes this quote. Listen to what they say about this quote. First of all, this is in the second part of 119 Ministries Sunburned. They're, at this point, they've given up most references. They're just, they're just saying stuff now. And it sounds like a lot of it is coming from the two Babylons by Hislop, which has been proven to be uh, erroneous. Uh, here's what they, and listen to what they say at the end of this clip about this, about this uh, quote from Tertullian. When the so-called fathers of the church in AD 440 decided upon a date to celebrate the event, they chose the day of the winter solstice, which was firmly fixed in the minds of the people and was already their most important festival. It was this, once again, this is, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but this certainly is not proven. Certainly quite convenient for Constantine to adopt this common custom of the birthday of the Messiah at the time he was trying to merge the world religions of Mithraism and Christianity. Okay, hang on just a sec. I, 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 we got to stop. There, there's so many things wrong with this already. First of all, are, did the church fathers in the 400s set the date of Christmas, as, as he's saying, or did Constantine fix it? He says both fixed it. Constantine was in the 300s, not in the 400s. So who, where, where's he at? It was firmly fixed in the minds of the people and was already their most important festival. It was certainly quite convenient for Constantine to adopt this common custom of the birthday of the Messiah at the time he was trying to merge the world religions of Mithraism. So fact, we, it, we don't have any evidence that December 25th before Constantine was set as uh, a Roman, a god, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what's the day? What do they call the, it? They, the, well, the birthday of the sun god. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have any sources from before Constantine that, that demonstrate or support that claim. Yes, we'll talk about this in a few minutes because okay. uh, I I, th I think that I do think that the Christians uh, did place 
uh, a the 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 Christmas celebration. I know we'll talk about this because this is this is actually a good debate to have. Um, but anyway, let's let's keep listening. Remember, I want everybody to keep in mind the quote that I just read from Tertullian. Okay, Christianity. Why did the Roman Church fix upon December twenty fifth as a day to honor the Messiah's birthday when it's clearly a pagan festival day? There is many opinions on this. The prevailing reason was that they justified the switch by insisting that the birthday of the Son was appropriate because they would still be celebrating the birthday of the Son of Righteousness. Yeah, there's no source. Yeah, there, well, there's no source. And he doesn't quote any source. He doesn't put any source up. In part one, he keeps putting up qu uh, quotes, which we'll talk about once we get to a different section of this. He does hint program. right there at the Malachi passage. He does. Son of Righteousness. Son of Righteousness. Okay, so now this is where he's going to hit this Tertullian quote. Listen to this. See Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. However, this flavor of thinking began happening well before it was all solidified into law. Others, with greater regard to good manners, it must be confessed, suppose that the Son is the God of the Christians, because it is a well-known fact that we pray toward the East, or because we make Sunday a day of festivity. Tertullian, 155-225 AD. Believe it or not, Tertullian has been called the father of Latin Christianity and the founder of Western theology. It should be a little disturbing that a supposed church father believed himself to basically be a sun god worshiper. <laughs> what? <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. Did he just say that? This, this, you know, this, you know, this, you know, you know what this, you know what this tells me. You know what just this tells don't me. Listen, don't this. Well, you know what that tells tell me. It tells me that he copied and pasted this from somewhere. That he didn't see the full quote. No, and he's not. He's not putting his own thoughts together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean it's not. It, it's. Uh, it's sensationalism. Well, he saw, he saw this. He said, oh, Tertullian's a sun worshiper. He, he's admitting it right here, but he only had he only had a line out of the quote. This this shows a very poor, very, very poor. And then he tries to word. undermine all of Christian theology. This is the father of Christian yeah. theology here. Was a, admitted, uh, admitted that he was a sun worshiper. Uh, what does that do? For, are you a Christian theologian? Oh my goodness. It's bad. Okay, so yeah, exactly. So uh yeah, quote mining. The chat room says quote mining. Exactly. That is exactly what they're doing. So check this out. Uh we're gonna go back to Zach Bauer now because uh, all of a sudden, now that you're starting to see from like 119 ministries, we'll talk about them and some of their sources in a little bit. But Zach at this point in the debate has no sources. We're gonna listen now to Michael and what he says. Is the uh, is the origin of the Christmas tree? Now, Michael, in this, if Zach would have been a little bit more prepared, he actually probably would have done a lot. He could have done a lot better uh, because Michael makes some missteps, some big missteps. Let's listen. Now, specifically going with the fir tree, let's say, for example, you're right. Now they had. I know I'm right. <laughs> well, let me just finish. Let me not get interrupted this time. By the way, just a message to Zach if he ever listens to this. Getting louder and talking over people doesn't make you more right. Okay. Now, let's just say you're right. They were having these, somehow pine trees were going, growing in ancient Israel, and they were worshiping them. There's no source which says that. But the first Christmas tree inscription doesn't come around until 1572. This is actually true. 
It doesn't mention anything that has to do with ancient paganism, and no scholar really thinks that today. We're, we're supposed to believe that these ancient German, or I'm sorry, these German people in the Middle Ages were sitting around who didn't have libraries, didn't have the internet, and they're going, you know, those ancient pagans in Mesopotamia worshipped trees around this time, so let's just do the same thing, even though they didn't have, you know, the printing press had just come out. Most scholars are telling us the pine tree, the Christmas tree, comes from paradise trees. These existed in Adam and Eve. Play. Okay, now hang on just a second. I want to stop this real quick. I think here is where is where uh, Zach could have nailed him. If he would have done a little research and known a little bit better, most scholars are not telling us that this is where they came from. There's uh, Scholars are totally split on where the, the Christmas tree came from. Some scholars say that this is where Christmas trees come from. There's, there's no doubt about that. Michael's right that some scholars believe this, but certainly not a majority. There's not a majority of scholars that are that are telling us that this is exactly where Christmas trees came from. Okay, they did. Scholars are going to agree that that they came out of Germany, but the origins of why the the Germans started bringing in the Christmas tree is very unknown. Christmas tree comes from paradise trees. These existed in Adam and Eve plays, and Adam and Eve's day was December 24th. It featured a fir tree with red apples hanging from it. And after the play was over, you didn't waste food in this time, so they would eat the apples, and typically they eat it the day after on December 25th. In the 1800s, the red apples were replaced by glass balls, because those were just coming out around that time. Most scholars recognize that is a far more post-parsimonious interpretation than it coming from thousands of years before it in a culture the Germans knew nothing about at this time. I mean, we know much so much about the Mesopotamians from recent archaeology that didn't exist in the 1500s when this was first That's coming out. That's true. So true. it creates a very unparsimonious interpretation to think somehow there was this giant thousand year gap, 2000 year gap of these trees and all of a sudden they're showing up again when they're not mentioned by, by early Christians celebrating them like St. Augustine or, you know, Maximus the Confessor or anybody like that. So this creates a far more parsimonious understanding. And earlier you mentioned Sol Invictus and Ilgaba. Look, there's not a lot of evidence for this. There's only one inscription of Sol Invictus being on December 25th, and it dates to 354 AD in the Philo right, Killing calendar. Good. Prior to this, how far back do you want to go? They they didn't have perfect filing systems back then. But there how are far back do you want to go? There are there's the Fasta inscriptions which state Sol Invictus. How far back do you want to go, Zach? Open mouth, insert foot at this point. To early August, late August, the end of October, December 7th. These go okay. to the Roman Republic. But you- you have that calendar in 354 that absolutely, undeniably equates Christmas with Sol Invictus. There's it no getting around. It. it says Stop. they're both on the same day. That's it. It does not Stop. equate them. See, Michael, Michael, this kid's got – he knows his stuff. He knows his facts. He knows his facts. They are mentioned not even – they're not even next to each other. They're in completely different parts of the book, and they have no – there's no reference like the author even – out of them they're, they're in completely different parts of the book and you could just as make he, uh, michael could just as much make the argument from that document that the romans that had been modifying moving the day around said it on the 25th to counter the christmas claim actually you that's, could just as much make that argument so the, yeah the, uh, so so, so, so the, yeah you're right the uh the the festival of sol invictus um, is it Sol Invictus? Uh, look, okay, so you have two things going on here. First of all, the Mithra, the, the cult of Mithra and Sol Invictus are not necessarily, I want to be very careful with my words here, they're not necessarily the same. 
Some scholars believe that they are the same. Sol Invictus and the worship of Mithra were the same, the same cult. Others believe that they that they might have been separate. There's not any we we don't have a lot of evidence of of either of these cults. Sol Invictus doesn't doesn't seem to uh, doesn't seem to come to power or to start to rise until around this time, and it it sprouted up for a hundred years and then it just kind of fizzled out. We don't have any evidence before that. Um, beyond that. Was it Sol Invictus? Sol Invictus switched dates. Originally, it was in August. Then they moved it to October. Then they moved it to November. And eventually, then they moved it to to uh, December 21st, right? And then later in 354 is the first... <laughs> what? What are you looking at? <laughs> the chat room, sorry. What? What'd they say? Nothing. Don't even... Just keep, keep talking, dude. Keep talking. <laughs> that's that's uh let's just what are we gonna do where are we going next (laughs) well hey you want to you look you want to talk about the date the date of of december 25th let's talk about it so here's the thing here's the thing back let's just recap okay the tree we don't know where the trees come from where christmas trees come from today okay i uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes and here's the thing the thing is you have people who are are devoted Christians who have Christmas trees, and you have people that are basically pagans, <laughs> and they have Christmas trees in their house, okay? So somehow what we are today is very different. Um, and it's true. It, it seems like, I, I believe, the consensus that it comes from early modern Germany, right? right, 1500s Germany. Well, this is certainly where we have it first, right? where, okay. where we have first and, attestation and in history Mike, of it. Is it Michael's? What was his name? Michael, Michael's yeah. point that... Yeah, the knowledge of the, there is no continuity of 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 uh, pagan theology or whatever between the emergence of the Christmas tree and whatever Isaiah is talking about or whatever was it back in um, uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, so those are separate. I, just if we can, I'll just insert my point here. Wait, are you talking about Christmas trees or are you talking about back December 25th? Christ- no, back to December 25th. Good. Yeah, I wanted go. to just, I wanted to, are we, yeah. cause are we done talking about the Christmas tree? No, thing? we are. We are absolutely not. Oh, okay. Well then maybe, we got, maybe we got plenty stop. more, but, but keep going. I want to, let's talk, let's, let's focus on December 25th I, for a few seconds. My, uh, okay. My view, I could be wrong. Uh, and uh, my view is that the, the celebration that is now pretty fixed I mean, we basically have two dates for Christmas, right, in, in, in world Christianity. You've got December 25th, and then you've got January uh, 8th January 8th. 6th or 8th or whatever. It's, it's the 8th, yeah. And those are fixed. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. I, it, it looks to me, in the research I've done, that those were both calculated out of a, a core belief way back that Yeshua was born on the same, or sorry, that he was conceived the same day that he suffered. And what you have is, is you had two different, you had two different views of the calendar. The same date, the same date that he was, so. Yeah, sorry, sorry, not this, yeah. The same day of the, of the year that he was, uh, suffered was the day he was conceived in the womb of Mary. That is a very early belief. And what happens is it's split. Some calculated it as April 6th. Some calculated it as March 25th. 
They each went nine months because they were aware of nine month gestation, and then they plotted the and birth. At, wait, wait, hang on, just a sec. Just wait, wait. wait. I agree with you. Uh, like I, I somewhat agree with you uh, <laughs> that this is how they came to the the, the December twenty fifth. But, but the reason that they they went exactly nine months is because since Yeshua was the perfect man, he would have a perfect gestation. Okay, sure. Sure. So the idea was, and this is in the fourth century. So this is in the somewhere maybe in the late two hundreds, but then into the three hundreds. You had the issue of the incarnation, whether Yeshua was really a man or not. So they they were under pressure. I, I believe they were under pressure to to say yes, he was born, he was a physical man, and so he needed to have a birthday. Now. They knew, they understood, it was one of the early church fathers, might have been Tertullian, I don't, they knew that it was, that in the Bible, the only two birthdays were pagans. They knew that it was Pharaoh, and they knew it was, it was a King Herod, who's not a pagan. Yep. Uh, but, uh, but, so there's a Jew who was celebrating his birthday. They would argue he was half Jew. But the point is this, they thought, here's a, the king of king of kings, in the flesh, they wanted to affirm that uh, he was he came in the flesh. They wanted to they wanted to associate his birth in a uh, with a Jew, with his suffering, which was been associated with Passover. And they were looking at like the passage that we heard Malachi: the the sun will rise with healing in his wings, son of righteousness. And they were trying to think back. Now remember, this is the time, and it's not. I mean, they're just realizing the Roman, these Roman church fathers, that there's this Jewish cultural background. They're quoting. I mean, one early, uh, I think he's in, he was second, uh, second or third century in North Africa. He argued that it was the fourth day of creation. You're talking about so Clement. Would, You're talking about Clement. Yeah, he was Clement, looking yeah. at Genesis, saying, "Oh, the sun is created on the fourth day. That must be that mean fourth day of creation." So then they anchored. They had the idea of creation in the spring. The rabbis later in the Talmud, they say, well, some say it's in the spring, some say it's in Tishri, which is in the, you know, neither here nor there. The point is you had all this going on, and it's not even until the fourth century that you have Augustine and, and more importantly, Jerome push for this Hebraic understanding. They understood that there's this Hebrew language uh, Judaic culture below the surface of their Latin text. And they're trying to see beyond it, but they have limited, just like Michael said in the, in his argument, these guys had limited resources that they, they had limited expenses, limited exposure to books. And they were trying to, to, from the scriptures, come up and, and solidify a birthday. And I believe that December 25th, came out of an whether you want to judge that they had good intentions but they failed or whatever that it was a midrashic type of uh effort to to identify a birthday for the savior and that it, it had nothing to do with what was going on with the roman things i think by the end it's clear let me finish one more point it's clear by the end of the fourth century by the late 300s you start do you do have this this mix now that's when you start having all the uh things that were happening in the pagan world 
are starting to infiltrate and you have these church fathers saying, wait a minute, you can't do this. If you're going to, you know, don't buy presents, give, give, give charity. I, okay. So, so Rob and I disagree on this. Um, because I think that it's certainly, I think it, it's, there's much more to it than that. And I think that there, I think that there was a want, look, we don't have the church fathers actually attempting to affix and celebrate. Now, I grant that that Clement in the second century and whatnot, these guys were trying to figure out when the, when the Messiah was born. You don't see them actually attempting to to follow or to celebrate a okay, birthday. I'm, I'm not talking about celebration. Hang on, hang on. I, I grant you that. Okay, okay, you. okay hang on. But you don't see you don't see them actually attempting to celebrate the birth of the Messiah on in the December months in the December month until after Constantine in 313 makes the edict that Christianity is legal and converts quote unquote converts to Christianity. No, but you don't even see it that early. You, it's not even within that early. 50 years. That's unbelievably fast. Okay, it's after Constantine, yes, but it's not right at the moment. I actually, I would, I would disagree with that. Without the internet, without all these kind of things, his see, edict that, go, that, his edict goes out, and less and less than 40, 40 years, you have you have it on a calendar. All of a sudden, the, the Christians wanted to to have have a uh, a time in December. You had Saturnalia that was yeah, being but you, yeah, yeah, but you do not know. You, you, but still, that this is where I feel like you're going out on a limb. We don't know that December 25th was any special day. I don't. I'm not saying that it was. But you had uh, you, had, you had you had Saturnalia, Saturnalia that was certainly. Uh, we know that that was uh, celebrated on the 17th. Right, and it, and it lasted for eight days. It ended on the twenty fifth. You had uh, uh, Constantine was certainly a sun worshiper before he converted in at the at the bridge. Right, Constantine was certainly a sun worshiper, and I think that there's good evidence to prove that. Historians agree on that, and I mean, I can read if you'd like me to. No, that's okay. I, I'll take you at your word for that. So Ed, Edward Gibbons, who was the standard, I grant that this was back. In, this was written back in the seventies. It was a standard back in the seventies. There is a good. There is a good amount of uh, chance. Just that, quote. Just quote Hislop, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are, are you saying that Gibbons is on par with Hislop? I don't know what, which book is heavier. <laughs> Come on, you, I mean, you know Gibbons. You think you think that Gibbons isn't a good uh, good scholar? Oh, what does he say? What does he say? Okay, he says, uh, whenever symptoms of Christian piety might transpire in the discourses uh, or actions of Constantine, he preserves till he was near forty years of age in the practice of the established religion and the same conduct which which in the court of Nicomedia might be imputed to his fear. Could he ascribe only to the in inclination or policy of the sovereign of Gaul? His liber Liberality restored the enriched in temples of the gods. The medals, which issued from the from his imperial mint, are impressed with the figures and attributes of Jupiter and Apollo of Mars and Hercules. And his filial piety increased the council of Olympus by the solemn apothesis of his father Constantine, Constantinus. But the devotion of Constantine was more peculiarly directed to the genius of the sun, the Apollo of Greek and Roman mythology, and he was pleased to be represented with the symbols of the god of light and poetry. The un unerring shafts of that deity, the brightness of his eyes, his laurel wreath, Im immortal beauty, and the elegant accomplishments seemed to point him out as the patron of a young hero. The altars of, of Apollo were crowned with the votive of offerings of Constantine. 
Constantine, and the credulous multitude were taught to believe that the emperor was permitted to behold with mortal eyes invisible majesty of their tutelar de deity, and that either walking in or in a vision he was blessed with the auspicious omens of a long and victorious reign. The sun was un... Uh, universally celebrated as the invincible guide of the protector of Constantine, and the pagans might reasonably expect that he insulted God, he insulted God would, that the insulted God would pursue with unrelenting unre vengeance the impiety of his ungrateful favor. So, okay, look, we know that Constantine was, was, uh, worshipped the sun, and was, was, uh, before his, his, uh, conversion. It was less than 50 years until all of a sudden you have the Christians affixing Christmas on in the December month. Why did they want to do that? Why did they want to all of a sudden affix uh, uh, this festival within the, in the December month? I'm not saying it's on the exact same day. But I think because you had a significant amount of pagans that were worshiping too. And we have early 5th century. <clears throat> granted, this is later. And see, these are the okay, kind of— Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I— I think I could grant you some slack on that, but I would I would say that everywhere in the world, I bet, well, in the northern hemisphere where you've got the winter months, you have a natural flow. People go in inward, right? They 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 go in to stay warm sure. if they're going to survive. Sure. And in that cycle, and because I know that's where I live, I live where like right now it's like super cold. I had to shovel my driveway again this morning. It's like snow everywhere and if it weren't for our heat inside you know we would we couldn't survive we ha so you have this cycle but in the summer it's like outside be outside as much as you can and so we have this back and forth to stay in this location i think that there any culture in the world that is in that kind of situation in that kind of uh climate is gonna have would have had some sort of things going on in the darkest part of the year to bring light to increase light and warmth and and coziness inside, I, I would. I, I all think I'm that, saying, all I'm saying, is that it looks like you have two holidays. Maybe not on December 25th. Maybe on the 21st of December. Certainly on the 17th was when Saturnalia was. Okay, and we we know about Saturnalia from from sources before before Christmas came around. Um, and of course, Michael in this debate, he's going to say that that it has nothing to do with it because it was on the 17th. But my point is, is that you have. Constantine, the the ruler of Rome, who is a sun worshiper, and all of a sudden he converts in three three thirteen, and guess what? Less than less than forty years later, you have uh, the first appearance of Christmas in the December months when these when these things when these holidays were going on. At the beginning of the fifth century, now granted this is late, it's attributed to uh, John Chrysostom. However, it's in his Latin homilies and not in his Greek homilies. Some of the Latin homilies uh, are said by scholars are said to have been written by uh, someone other than John Chrysostom and added later. They think that they were added at the beginning of the 5th century, as opposed to the end of the 4th century when John Chrysostom actually wrote. Nonetheless, even if they're late and not written by John Chrysostom, we have in the early 5th century... We have this quote from his homilies 31 in the Latin. On this day, also the birthday of Christ was lately fixed at Rome in order that while the heathen, heathen were busy with their profane ceremonies, the Christians might perform their sacred rites undisputed or undisturbed. They call this December 25th 
the birthday of the Invincible One, or Mithra. But who is so invincible as the Lord? They call it the birthday of the solar disk, but Christ is the son of righteousness. So at least by the beginning of the fourth century, we have people, probably in a John Chrysostom, probably somebody else uh, saying that he was John Chrysostom, that writes this. So at least by the beginning of the fifth century, we have the pagans celebrating on the 25th as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I, and well, we have that even back at the, the chronograph of 354. Four, or exactly. Even, but the point is, which came first? I now, agree. I, now, now, I now. agree that this author here at the end of the fourth century makes it look, from his perspective, it looks like the, uh, the Christians adopted and changed over a Roman thing. Here's an argument for people in that camp. Here's another argument. Not that I'm totally convinced. But I'll give you give an argument for your side, is that you could argue that well Christians went into places wherever there was a pagan temple and they would build over that temple and make it, turn it into something Christian. So you could say you one could argue that one of the imperial power muscle flexing of the Christian Empire was to replace existing pagan uh, sites and possibly traditions, with rework them and put a Christian sprinkle on them. Uh, so someone could say, well, and Christmas, making December 25th the birthday of Jesus, is one example of that cultural domination, that imperial power move to relabel, to efface the world of, of paganism and, and rework everything as Christianity. Okay, so the, here's the nice thing, though, is that you and I both can look at the evidence, the evidence, and admit that it's it's inconclusive on what came first. Whether or not Sol Invictus was actually set before Christmas was, or Christmas was set and then Sol Invictus was set on the 25th in a response to Christianity, I don't think that there's substa substantial evidence enough for us to be able to say one way or the other. Would you agree with that? Uh, well, my angle... Uh uh, in terms of the celebration, I don't know. In terms of calculation, I, I stand by my my, my okay. I, uh, my yeah. opinion is that the calculations Christians were doing independently as early as the second earlier. century. Yeah, second century. Yeah, I because agree. they wanted to fix it. They wanted to say affirm that he was born in the flesh, so therefore they needed to be able to, uh, you know, cough up a birthday. But they were trying to do it. They were doing it with, in association with Jewish culture. <laughs> They were looking to the classical text. They were looking to Bethlehem. You know, they believed he was born in Bethlehem, like Micah said. They believed that his name was Emmanuel, like in Isaiah. They uh, were. They believed that he was crucified at, during Passover. So they were trying, and then they had. They were the trying to associate. I get conceived. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, and then it was in the in that time frame they start learning a little bit about the Hebrew language, you know, stuff that was, that we take for granted. They didn't know. And they were doing their best. They took the Malachi. I agree. Sun will rise. Son of righteousness will rise. And these things all kind of fit for them to say logically it, that that I my argument is that that's the earliest strata. They, but I but I will say I will agree that no one is advertising any kind of celebration at that point or anything. Okay, so let, let's let's go back to sources. I want to get back to uh, some of this th so, because basically what we have here after Zach totally bombed on on uh, this debate, uh, 
what you have is you have him now coming back, and this is, I'm going to play some more stuff from the debate to kind of show his thinking. But um, basically, even after the debate, Zach doesn't understand, and 119 Ministries doesn't understand what a good source and a bad source is. Let's keep going here with Zach. This is this is uh, this was really disappointing. That the Roman Catholic Church is a religion that worships a god. They worship God, yeah. I don't deny. Then why that. do they why do they use pine cones? They don't use pine cones. This is an association fallacy. Why don't you ask them what it is? And second of all, where is the ancient pagan source saying that they worship these things? The only thing I can find in present day is Encyclopedia Britannica, which has gotten plenty of things wrong. It once said Mithra was born on the 25th of December. This is false. It once said that the uh, middle middle age people thought the thought the earth was flat. You can tell, by the way, sorry to stop it. You can tell Michael, this guy, he's done his research. He's yeah, sharp. He's, he's well read. He's, he's well read. read. He, know, he knows what he's talking about. This is false. Actual scholars on this issue don't find it. And I've gone past it. To no, 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 no. That's ridiculous. Dude, if you, you can go to Wikipedia and I know, I mean, we, everyone, <laughs> uh, yeah, you laugh about Wikipedia, but you know what? The, thing, the, the weird thing about Wikipedia is you have to give sources for your information. And sometimes, you know, so like, oh, oh, no, you, if you don't, you get kicked off. That's, that's the reality. You'll see that thing that says citation needed. Yeah, if you don't give a citation after a certain time, anyone, or in fact, anyone at that point can pull it off. It's not there. You have to give references for your material in Wikipedia. Which is okay. why I look at the references, and sometimes I'll come across references to like Ellen G. White, who is the founder of the right. Seven Day Adventist. Yeah, see, and this is this is also where 119 Ministries goes wrong when they try to cite Wikipedia. Don't cite Wikipedia. Go down, find the source. Wait, get... so who else? So we have how many the other groups are citing Wikipedia? Yeah, 119 Ministries put something out, which Zach Bauer then reposted, and one of the references in it is we'll get we'll come to this in a few minutes. Let's let's. Uh, so anyway, I, I think we don't even need to finish this uh, this this clip here. The point is, is that if you're gonna go look, I will admit. I will admit, I pull open Wikipedia. I think everyone does. Okay, you pull open Wikipedia to to maybe get a starting base on on something to see what they have to say. I would never reference Wikipedia in a scholarly article ever. What you do is you go down and you see if they have a reference for where they a source for where they got that material. Then you go either to the library or into your own personal library. You see if you have that book. You pull that book off the shelf. You look at it. You see if they quoted correctly. They see if it's actually the right page. Any of that because 50% of the time it's not. Somebody just want, wants the information to be there, so they'll just give a reference. It's not even, you know. Yeah, here we, here we have to be, because it's not like you have a whole group of scholars that are checking for Wiki, working for Wikipedia that are going and chasing down each of these references to see if they're accurate. Yeah. It's more like a computer just says, okay, did the guy follow the format correctly? They, they can't possibly chase down and see. Yeah, so don't, don't if you read it on, let's just say, if you read it on Wikipedia, take it with like a grain of salt or two well, it's grains not of even salt. not even take it with a grain of salt. Go see where they're they're getting their references. Then go to the the source that they that they use. Yeah, if you yeah, that's that's better. You know. Okay, so uh, now of course this at this point in the debate, uh, Zach is really struggling. He I think he realizes he's in trouble. Uh, he's he's grasping at straws, and uh, he asks, "How far back do you actually want to go?" This was this was a misstep. And earlier, you mentioned Sol Invictus and El Gaba. Look, there's 
not a lot of evidence for this. There's only one inscription of Sol Invictus being on December 25th, and it dates to 354 AD in the Philo-Kelian calendar. He's right. Prior to this, how far back do you want to go? They they didn't have perfect filing systems back then. But the- okay, so we've already heard this, but they didn't have perfect filing systems back then. Here's the thing. Okay, now I'll give you a little break from this, Rob, because I think that you'll enjoy this. Rob and I actually had uh, occasion to sit down with one Nehemia Gordon at the ETS and SBL meeting. Now we strongly disagree with Nehemia Gordon. I would, you know, I would say that I certainly do not uh, promote anything that he does because he's not a believer. He doesn't believe that the issue is the Messiah. He, uh, you know, he. he yeah, and and not only that, but some of his uh, scholarship has been questionable in certain ways. Um, but he's a he's a nice guy, and uh, and yeah, as, real nice guy, Very real nice, nice guy. guy. As I was listening to various ministries and what they were putting out <clears throat> about Christmas, I came across uh, something that Nehemia Gordon did with a athe an atheist scholar, and this atheist scholar, perhaps this was the best piece of Christmas truth that I could find. Now, they get a little bit iffy here and there, but uh, I had to pull this because I just thought, man, an atheist scholar and a non-believing Jew are the are the ministries in the Hebrew Roots movement that, you know, that put out the most truthful thing. Listen to what they have to say. This is a long clip, two minutes and 47 seconds. And it sounds like they get off track, but they kind of reel it back in. December 25th was the birth of all sun gods, not Mithra particularly. Now, do we know that from the ancient sources? This is what I want to verify. Do we actually know that from the pre-Christian sources? Well, it's hard to say specifically. Like, for example, December 25th is the last day of Saturnalia. We know that from pre-Christian sources. And the Saturnalia... Yes. Yeah, he's right. That's true. How Sat- do we know that? Saturnalia was fixed on, on December 17th. Because we- they're saying it's eight days? Yes. So it's an, an eight-day festival in December. Yes. Started okay, on- because because Saturnalia started at different days. We have a whole bunch of. I, I'd need to see more on that. Anyway, you're right. You're, I, actually, you're right. It actually does switch. They switch it. They switch it to December 25th. But originally, I think the earliest source that we have is that it, it's on December 17th. Anyway, I think it, we have more. Okay, never mind. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I want to hear what well, you're saying. I I think we have it that it's all over the place. You're thinking Saturnalia. of soul. You're thinking of Soul Invictus. Sol Invictus is all over the place. Saturnalia oh, okay. was set in December. Right. I, I, that's right. The other S word. Yeah. Sol Invictus was uh, originally in August. Saturnalia, though, I think was, uh, I, I haven't, I'm totally willing to have you show me that, but okay, I don't, Well, I'm, I'm not going to chase. That's just something I don't care. So, but I'm not going to spend time. I've got other things I'm doing. But anyway, so. Okay. Here, uh, here okay, we go. Here we go. It's the festival of the god Saturn, but it's also related to the rebirth of the sun. And it goes from the 17th to the 25th. And an eight-day week for the Romans is about the resurrection of the sun kind of thing. We have a Christian calendar mid-4th century. It's a Christian calendar, but it's really a, a calendar of all holidays, not just Christian ones. And it has on there, the December 25th is the birthday of Sol Invictus, which is a sun god. The invincible sun, right? Right, exactly. That's the main sun god. There was a a rise of Sol Invictus cult in the third century AD. And so it was kind of very popular in that hundred year span. So That's according true. to this Christian source, and this is a fairly early Christian source, close enough to the actual events of the third century, for example, to know that this was actually the case. They're not making it up. And then the idea of porting the birth of Jesus to the 25th came later. It's interesting to say porting, meaning they believed he was born and they had one date and they transferred it to this other date. 
So now this is where we start to get off a little bit, but then he's, they're going to reel it back in. Let's move it. Yeah. And I think that was political. The reality is they wanted their celebration to overwhelm the pagan celebration. That's their way of erasing the pagan holiday is just make it a Christian holiday. And then the more people worship the Christian version of it, the less popular the pagan version of it will be. And eventually the pagan one will just wither away like a a vestigial organ, and what you have left is this Christian celebration. So how much of that is speculation? In other words, how much do we know for sure that that's... This is the one thing I like about uh, Nehemiah in this interview. He keeps saying, okay, what do we we know? How much of that is speculation? Yeah, Yeah, that's a good question. Out and say, we're going to make the birthday of Jesus December 25th to get the sun worshippers to join us? Do we have, have sources like that? I'm not sure if, insofar as we have them discussing it, it's early Middle Ages. So you can't always be sure that what they're saying, because you know, they all have their own historical hypotheses as to how this happened. Whether their hypotheses are true or not is yet another question. I think, by and large, it's our inference, because we can see the sequence of events. It started a pagan holiday. Now the Christians are making it their holiday. Why would they do that? There are yeah, logical yeah, see, reasons. Yeah, that- this is speculation. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I get it. The, the, guy, the, the chronology that this atheist uh, is positing, I, I think he needs to demonstrate that. He's taking it for granted. He's saying our view. Um, but at least it seems like he's willing to say, you know, maybe it's not exactly right. We gotta, we gotta, he's building a lot on his chronology. 40 seconds left. You can, to, to say that maybe the medieval historians who are saying this might have had on to something on that. However, you know, look, if I were a Christian apologist who really loved Christmas, I could come along and say, yeah, you've got a fourth century source. That's 300 years <laughs> after Jesus. And the pagans were competing with Christianity and put the birthday of their son, you know, S-U-N, to get the Christians. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's possible. Yeah, but I, it's I not. I agree with Nehemiah on that. That's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from, I, I'm. that's the same point I'm trying to make. I'm like, you could argue it both ways. You could say that the pagans are doing it against the Christians. Well, according you know? to the evidence, you certainly could argue that. We, we got. 17- we don't know. We don't know how many people were doing these celebrations. We don't know if it was just like a like a one little you know group of elite people get together do this, or were the masses amounts of people. We don't know who was celebrating. These Actually, feats. I'll tell you this. I read something. The Soul the- Invictus one that's all over the place. It, it sounds like it was like a lot of money went into it. Well, here's, here, here's the thing. I read something the other day. I haven't verified it. It was in Encyclopedia Britannica, which has been wrong. But they said, and it was the new one. It was like the 2016. But they said that uh, that there was hundreds of Sol Invictus temples. But from what we've from what we've uncovered uh, in archaeology, but. If you take into account the amount of people in the Roman culture at that time, those temples would have only been able to serve less than 1% of the Roman culture. So Sol Invictus, sure. what they're saying is Sol Invictus Sol was Invictus. not big. Yeah. Is that Sol Invictus? So when we talk about Saturnalia, we wonder too. We, we don't know how widespread was it. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe someone has researched that out. But to me, there's just so much speculation in the whole Christmas uh, to me, that's why I'm just not. It, it's okay. I want to go back. I I know you're getting tired of it, but I'm not. I want to go okay. back to uh, to Zach. He now we're almost done with Zach. Okay, we're almost done with Zach. Um, and then we'll then we'll uh, we're gonna move on. But uh, this last little quote, there's almost a disdain here. Um, 
Michael uses the term etymological fallacy, which means that that uh, the the building of a word, you're taking the building of a word, you're using it incorrectly. That's what that means. Um, and listen to what Zach says. Oh, so we're back you're to the other guy. Yeah, we're back to Zach now. And, and we're only going to be on this for a few seconds. Um, and then we're moving on to 119 Ministries after this. And I only got a couple of clips from then. So you're almost done. The pain is almost over, Rob. Don't worry. You're decorating it. You're putting you're putting lights on it and tinsel and ornaments. You're you or decorate your house. Are you showing your house reverence and worshiping it? What what's what's the what's the what's the I think it isn't even the um the key word the uh, the root word for ornament is to ornate something to or, to make something ornate. That's an etymological fallacy. It's, it's giving it reverence, man. That's an etymological fallacy. You're defining it based you're on all these, you're all these big, you but you you've been you, wait, 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 you Wait, you've been to seminary, right? No. Where'd you get all these seminary words? Because a lot of the guys I debate use these words. I study. I read things. I read scholars all the time. This is what I do. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. I drink and I know things. <laughs> guys, like, awesome. Should we, should we save that clip? <laughs> yes, we can. I'll, I'll okay, that, that. Okay, Caleb, just as a reminder, this is a footnote on a footnote. Yeah. Clip that one. And then the one saved, saved. I already, I already got that. Okay, cool. All right. Um, so, but this show is almost like a, uh, I don't know, an arrogance or a disdain towards I read a lot. I drink it. I know things. <laughs> yeah. That's like one of my favorite clips of all time ever. For me, it's coffee, yeah. but for some, some y'all, y'all, here we go. It's fine brews. Yeah. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, <laughs> you can say, you can see so that wait, you, you can see that Zach is just, oh, I mean, he's that just, was shit. Yeah, painful. Shining oh. through some ignorance. Um, okay, so let's go back to this clip. This is the last thing I got from Zach, okay? Um, he, this is the clip that I played earlier. He's not he said he wasn't prepared. Now, he's going to bring – now he's going to show you the, uh, the sources that he would have brought if he didn't think that he could just bring the Bible. He, he, now he's going to – as if he would have slaughtered with these sources. Some things. Um, I had a book by N.F. Pearson um, called The Stories of Our Christmas Customs. Uh that's not a primary source. Uh, Tom C. McKinney wrote The Holidays and Holy Days. Not a primary source. Um, uh, the, the Christmas Celebration in, in Many Lands by E.J. Patterson. Not a primary source. And a number of other books. There was one I, I really liked. Um, it was, uh, where is it at? It was this one here, The Meaning of Trees, uh, A History of Botany, where it says an ancient... Not a primary source. This is the problem. 119 Ministries and Zach from Nutatoria. And look, he you know, he keeps posting stuff now from non-primary sources. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. We're going to go back to, to, uh, to Rob's Hanukkah story. You got this poem that was written in the 20th century that says the reason that, uh, you know, that, that this lady went, she decapitates the head of, of the leader, and that's how they won. Now, if I say that now, I say, look, I have a source. It's this Jewish poem. Right, right, right. Or okay. the Talmud. They, they burn they miracle of oil. With my source is the Talmud. Therefore, it happened. Yeah, but it's super late. And, right, that's right. That's the question. And that's, that's what I appreciated about Nehemiah Gordon talking to the atheist guy saying, look, okay, I know you're telling me that, but what are the sources? See, Who, and then, and what time frame are they from? So, and so, how did they word it? 
my point is this, Zach and 119 Ministries need to realize that if I reference that poem, what does what bearing does that have on the the Maccabees of 100 years, 170 years before before the birth of the Christ? Right? What what bearing does this 20th century poem have on that? It doesn't. Just because look, and I know, I went and I checked and that's all That's the issue. That's the issue with the the German Tannenbaum or whatever with the ancient Assyrian or Mesopotamian or whatever Jeremiah was talking about. You can't you can't take these these uh, these secondary sources and all of a sudden say, look, this scholar says it. Well, what what you know? Just because a scholar says something doesn't mean that it's that it's uh, uh, valid. I like this this from One Nineteen Ministries in their first uh, their their first video on sunburned. 119 Ministries. The giving of presents was a Roman custom, while the Yule tree and Yule log are remnants of old Teutonic nature worship. Gradually, the festival sank into mere revelry. The custom was forbidden by an act of Parliament in 1555, and the Reformation brought in a refinement in the celebration of Christmas by emphasizing its Christian elements. Unger's Bible Dictionary. So basically, Christmas was illegal because of the sun god elements until we Christianized the sun god worshiping traditions. Okay, here's the problem with this clip. Now, the thing that that uh, that he's not going to tell you, and he probably doesn't even know, is that Unger's Bible Dictionary is total nonsense. They have all sorts of ho- horrible things in it. And when I went, I looked at this reference. Guess what Unger's Bible Dictionary's main source is for all of this information? Granted, I, I will give him that it was outlawed by the Puritans. And that the and that the uh, reformers sort of revitalized stuff. But what is it? What is his? Uh, what, you know the stuff that he says before this about sun god worship in Unger's Bible Dictionary. Guess what the source is? Two Babylons by Hislop. That was the Unger's Bible Dictionary's source for what he's saying here. Is is Hislop's Two Babylons? So right here, this whole quote and this whole section of this teaching has to be thrown out. Here's another one. Here's 119 Ministries. This is also from part one. So now you know why the date December 25th was chosen. Not because our Messiah was born on that date, but because the sun god Mithra was born on that date. There is substantial evidence that Yeshua is not born in December, but born in the fall. Okay, first of all, I don't know where he's getting that from. That's Somebody said that to him, and and that's what he thinks. Somebody made and a the, case that he he was born in the fall. He could have been born. Mithra, Mithra tw- on the twenty fifth is also. We don't have evidence. We don't have evidence. For okay, that. hang on, just a sec. He's going to the qu- ancient world. He's going to quote something here. Hang on. Likely on the feast of Sukkot. Eventually, we realized that the early Roman Catholic Church could not discontinue the pagan sun god practices, so they adopted the practice themselves, completely given into the "if you can't beat them, then join them" approach. Let's continue. The transition from festivals commemorating the birth of a sun god to the celebration ostensibly for the Son of God occurred sometime in the 4th century. Unable to eradicate the heathen celebration of Saturnalia, the Church of Rome, sometime before 336 AD, designated a Feast of the Nativity to be observed. James Taylor, Christmas in the New International Dictionary of the Christian Church. Christian scholars are clear that they understand how the sun god practices and days became part of the Christian faith. They don't deny it. Many of the customs associated with Christmas also took their origins from the heathen observances, the exchanging of gifts, extravagant merriment, and the lighting of candles all had previous counterparts in the Roman Saturnalia. 
The use of trees harkens back to the pagan Scandinavian festival of the Yule. Okay, so he's taking this from James Taylor's article in he's the just new the, taking all these kind yeah, of things. Well, he's taking yeah. it all from the New International Dictionary, a uh, 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 New International Christian Dictionary. Guess what? First of all, this is a, this is not this is a secondary source because James Taylor is a modern scholar. He gives absolutely no references whatsoever. He doesn't re- he doesn't tell you where he's getting this. And here's the thing: I'm pretty sure that 119 Ministries once again copy and pasted this. And the reason why is because I have this book. I have the exact book that they put up on the screen, the cover and all, same same edition, everything. It's a misquote. They don't quote it right. They take two quotes, and both quotes are very wrong. They add a lot of words in there. They, I mean, all sorts of stuff. I don't think that 119 Ministries is maliciously like, haha, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this quote fit what I'm saying. I think what they're doing is they're finding it on the internet. Somebody has already changed it or added words or whatever or put their own words in. They've copied and pasted it and then tried to cite it from the book. It doesn't work like that. It's a misquote. Check this out. This is from part two. And by the way, in part two, they stopped giving you references from where they're getting this information. And the, first of all, part one, their information is all from secondary sources anyway. So it's, it's not valid. You can't use secondary sources. And here's the thing is that is that uh, is that Zach, you know, he's putting up these these uh, things, these quotes the next day saying, oh, but this isn't going to be a good enough source. You're right. It's not going to be a good enough source. You don't understand like uh, just a little bit of school, just a little bit of school would help you understand what a primary source is as opposed to a secondary source. Stop using secondary sources. Use primary sources. In ancient times, the winter solstice was celebrated in Babylon as the birth of Tammuz, the god of vegetation. I'm pretty sure that this is coming straight from two Babylons. This was the shortest day of the year, in the latter part of December. According to the pagans, the reincarnated god Nimrod would visit the evergreen tree and leave gifts upon it. This festival later became known as Saturnalia, and friends and family would exchange gifts. During the time of Nimrod and thereafter, many of the Earth's inhabitants were sun worshippers because the course of their lives depended on the yearly round in the heavens. Feasts were held to aid its return from distant wanderings. Fraser admits that the largest pagan religious cult which fostered the celebration Fraser, by the way, also a secondary source. December 25th as a holiday throughout the Roman and Greek worlds was the pagan sun worship Mithraism. This winter festival was called the Nativity, the Nativity of the Sun. Interestingly, the winter solstice was also celebrated centuries later by the followers of Mithras as the Nativity, or birthday, of the unconquered sun. In Persia, and afterward in Rome, Mithraism was renamed Babylonian mother-child worship. This is why Catholicism, which is a derivative of Constantine's sun-god interest, focuses so much on Mary and baby Jesus. Not because the Bible merits such focus, but because it helped turn the sun god-worshipping pagans and those following the way of Yeshua to become this new religious sun-mixed hybrid. Test everything. That is absolute, There's absolutely no basis for what you just said. It's a big story. Yeah, th- a- this is kind of what Andre is working, working on. It's just how, how uh, this example, these other examples, how this alternative story of history is put together to kind of create the pagan background of the Christian church, and then to show that um, if you're going to follow the Torah, you have to, like, you know, 
promote basically this to try to promote Torah observance, to try to teach people that the Bible teaches one thing, but feeding them mistruths to try to lead them down that path. I guess that's that's the way that seems like uh, people have taken this. And it goes back. Uh, Andre uh, did an excellent job talking about the the Hislop book, and I think we see that we see that. Uh, it comes down to the very thing we st- talked about at the beginning. What is a fact? What is a fact? Pregnant man gives birth. That's Do a we... fact. <laughs> Sorry. You know what I mean? If, if, <laughs> if, if I believe something is a fact and I'm building on it, and you're like, dude, that's not even a fact, then there's no way. At what point are we actually going to have meaningful conversation? I mean, do you, are you getting my frustration with uh, these guys do not understand primary and secondary sources? I know, but my, my suspicion is that if you bring, it sounded like to me, like the idea of us going to a seminary is like shamed upon. Yeah. Like almost like I'm going to zap you. If, if Caleb, if you went to a seminary, then I'll see my audience already knows what that means. And that's, we know what that means. It sounds just like another word, cemetery. You went to a cemetery, I mean seminary, because they're going to indoctrinate you and you're not going to learn to read the Bible. That's the implication. And then it's like, well, okay. And the earth is flat. You know, what can you say? We need to have meaningful conversation has to have an uh, an agreement to establish facts that we can work with. Just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> All right. Well, so, so we get down. We get down to this. Someone's got a Christmas tree in their house, and you like you. You know, you're a Torah pursuant person. You go. That's a pagan. That's paganism. It's paganism. Okay, so oh, let, let, let me let me just say it's this. a Hanukkah. Hanuk- that's not in the Bible, and that's a that's a tree. It's like a menorah. It's got branches. You light it. Let me let me, it's let me a tree let me, of light. Let me tell you this. Okay, so to, to, although we don't have attestation of of a Christmas tree in uh, in you know early primary sources, what we do have is we have other decorations being used by the pagans for Saturnalia, okay? And I'll read from Tertullian. This is in his Apologies number 35. He says, It is forsooth a notable homage to bring fires and couches out before the public. He's talking about Saturnalia now. To have feasting from street to street, to turn the city into one great tavern, to make mud with wine, to run in troops to acts of violence, to deeds of shamelessness, to lust allurements. What? Is public joy manifested by public disgrace? Do things unseemly at other times beseem the festival days of princes? Do they who observe the rules of virtue out of reverence for Caesar, for his sake turn aside from them? Shall piety be licensed to immoral deeds? And shall religion be regarded as affording the occasion for all riotous extravagance? Poor we, worthy of all condemnation, 
For why do we keep the, the vote of days and high rejoicings in honor of the Caesar with chastity, sobriety, and virtue? Why on the day of gladness do we neither cover our doorposts with laurels nor intrude upon the day with lamps? It is a proper thing at the call of public festivity to dress our house up like some new, new brothel. However, in the matter of this homage to a lesser majesty, in reverence to which we are accused of a lower sac sacrilege, because we do not celebrate along with the holidays of the Caesars in a manner forbidden alike by modesty, decadence, and purity, in truth, they have been established rather as affording opportunities for light licentiousness than from any worthy motive. I said it was for Saturnalia. It's actually for the, the uh, festival of Caesar. But the point is, is that we have we have people dressing within the Roman pagan culture for Roman pagan holidays, dressing their houses with laurel and uh, bring lamps out. In another passage uh, by Tertullian, he once again talks about the same festival to, uh, to Caesar uh, and bringing lamps, uh, decorating the house with lamps. He says, therefore, too, the Lord demanded that money should be shown him and inquired about the image, who it was whose it was. And when he had heard it was Caesar's, said, render to Caesar what is what are Caesar's, and what are God's to God's. That is the image of Caesar, which is on the, the coin, to Caesar and the image of God, which is, on, which is on man. To God, so as to render to Caesar indeed money, to God yourself. Otherwise, what will be God's if all things are Caesar's? Then, do you say, the lamps before my doors and the laurels on my doorposts are an honor to God? They are there, of course, not because they are an honor to God, but to him who is honor in God's stead by ceremonial observances of that kind, so far as is manifest, saving the religious performance, which is in secret, appertaining to demons. So uh, Tertullian certainly uh, talks about uh, lamps being set out for Caesar. I'm not, please do not hear me say that this is where Christmas lights come from. That is not what I'm saying. And but I am saying that we see uh, doorposts being adorned with laurels. There are custom, yeah, cu pagan customs, if you want to call them that, Roman customs that believers in Yeshua apparently are trying to gra gravitate towards. Are doing, and maybe they've been doing it their whole life, and they came a believer late in life, and they're just doing, you know. Now I'm not saying I'm not yeah. saying one way or the other this it pertains to Christmas. However, what I am saying is is that it would not be surprising to me. I would certainly would not fall on my sword, as my father would say. I certainly would not fall on my sword for this. But it would not be surprising to me if some of these traditions were uh, were then morphed over into a Christian holiday that was around the same time. Especially if we have the uh, Constantine becoming a Christian. That's all I'm saying. Is there proof for that? I don't think we have solid proof for that necessarily from primary sources, but it certainly is plausible that that could happen. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's another another holiday year. What do you think, Rob? Good times? Sure. <laughs> uh, I can tell that, that was, Rob... That was quite a bit of uh, ground we covered. Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, uh, by the way, if anybody ever wants to hear about uh, the origins of Hanukkah, we did a show last year on Hanukkah and whether or not it's pagan or not, some of the origins of the customs within Hanukkah. And uh, I can, if, if you'd like to hear, uh, if you'd like to know uh, what specific show that is, you can email me, chag at torahresource.com. Anything else before we go, Rob? Nope. Nope. 
Alrighty. Uh, well, I hope that uh, for the Christians out there who are listening, uh, you know, I do believe that uh, there's some pagan origins to Christmas. And, uh, you know, what can I say? I certainly would not be bringing a Christmas tree to my home, nor will I be uh, decorating with laurel and holly or putting up mistletoe or any such thing. I will be, however, celebrating Hanukkah, something that Yeshua did. And I think that we see that quite clearly within the scriptures. Uh, so we hope that you have a good festival of Hanukkah. And if you are celebrating something else, uh, well, then may your home be filled with the, the light of the Messiah. And no matter what you're doing, we hope that all homage is going to our great God and Savior, Yeshua, our Messiah. <laughs>